Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, open to Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, or you can follow along with us on the Version app as well. And uh, while you're turning there, or uh, opening up your app to get to Galatians chapter 2, uh, just kind of want to do a recap. Last week we started a new series uh, in the book of Galatians uh, titled Standing on God's Grace. And it's this idea that throughout the book of Galatians we get this picture of what God has done for us, sending His Son for us, and what that means uh, for us. And Galatians is such an interesting book because Paul is writing to a group of people who are struggling with this decision from being in the grace of God, standing in the grace of God, to going back to a former way of living, a former structure that, that lacked freedom, really. And we see in Galatians chapter 1, Paul gets right to the, the core issue at hand. This, uh, the churches in Galatia that he had wrote to, or that he had ministered to, that he had started in his first missionary trip, his first missionary travels, they're starting to turn away from God, from uh, what they had come to know about Jesus Christ, and they were starting to turn back to this, this false gospel, this, this law that they were so tethered to, and they're turning away. They're turning away. And so uh, Paul gets right down to the issue. You guys are being persuaded by a false gospel. And we talked about a little bit how today the church is kind of starting to see these false gospels creep in. You know, we talked about this idea of a, a prosperity gospel. If you're not healthy or, or wealthy, then you know, your faith isn't strong. And we know that's not the case. And, and really... Our God's desire for us isn't to be healthy and rich. God's desire for us is to be holy, to rely on Him, to trust in Him, to lean on Him, to be tethered to Him. And we talked about some of these, these false ideas, this idea that we, we have to be happy all the time. That's what God wants for us to be, is just happy all the time, and that's not the case. Again, He desires holiness from us. And then we talked about... Uh, Paul's background, his story. He was a very well-educated man in the law. He was a, a Pharisee to his core. He knew the law inside and out. He was uh, moving up the ranks. And yet on the road to Damascus, he has this encounter with Christ and it changes his life. And, and now he's going to go and become a, a witness to the Gentiles. And we talked about how it's by God's grace that we are where we are. If we've given our life to him, if we follow him, when we speak his, his message, when we tell people about him, it is by his grace that he has come in and he's changed our lives. He's saved our lives. It is by his grace. And that leads us to where we're going to be this morning. In, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, we see a situation arise. We see a situation come about that's really quite tragic. It's a, a situation involving a leader in the church, an important figure in the church. And, and he has started to lead people astray. And, and Paul is going to address it and, and fix, help fix this problem because if they don't, it can lead to a lot of problems. And so that's where we're going to start 
uh, this morning is in verse 11. And the beginning of Galatians chapter 2, I would encourage you to read over it. It's more of Paul continuing to um, state why he has the authority, the ability to speak uh, the words that he speaks. But we're going to start in verse 11 and look at verses 11 through 14 to begin with. And it says, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And so we see uh, that right here at the beginning, he's going to address the problem uh, that he sees. And this has taken place sometime after Acts chapter 15. And Cephas here is Peter. He's talking about Peter. Peter comes to Antioch, and we see this event unfold. He's come to Antioch, Peter has, and he has found that Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians are in fellowship together. And because of what we see in Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 15, he has this vision of, you know, this, he's up on Simon the Tanner's roof and he has this vision and all this food comes down and, and God tells him it's okay for him to take and, and eat. And it's this idea that there's, and Peter's like, well, this is unclean. I can't eat anything unclean. And, and God says, what I've made clean isn't unclean. And it's this idea that there is no separation in the body, that the, the Gentile believers, the Jewish believers, there's no separation. They, the Holy Spirit's going to come to both. The Gentiles are being made clean just the same. And because of this, he feels now like it is okay, after the events of chapter 10, 11, we see uh, he feels like it's okay to eat with the Gentiles. But then, here we see some certain men come Jewish men, uh, Jewish Christians, who knew James. It's doubtful that James uh, gave them endorsement to come and cause a stir or cause problems. But they come in, and because they come in, they come in teaching this false doctrine that we saw uh, in chapter 1, this idea of the law, the works, uh, you know, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved, these, these things that they've come in and, and preached. And we see here that he starts to get afraid of these people and he begins to draw back and separate from the Gentiles. Uh, commentator Donald Campbell points out that the, the verb tense here is an imperfect tense. And why this is important is this means that really what it's likely he was doing here is he started to gradually depart from the presence of the Gentiles. Maybe he was eating with them three times a day and then he's moved down to two times a day, then to one time a day, and then just kind of separated from them. And what's so crazy here to me is this Peter is the same Peter who in Acts wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid. In Acts chapter 11, he defends his actions 
uh, from Acts chapter 10 when he enters Cornelius' house. In Acts chapter 15, he defends again the fact that the Gentiles shouldn't have this stuff thrown onto them, this law thrown onto them. He defends his actions boldly, and yet here he's afraid. He starts to depart from this group. He starts to listen to this circumcision group. And now, this causes a problem. He's becoming a hypocrite. Peter is becoming a hypocrite. By his actions, he is teaching that there are two separate groups of believers. There's the Jewish believers. There's the Gentile believers. They are two separate people. We should not eat with them. They should not eat with us. There are two separate groups. In his actions, he is proclaiming this, and this is heresy. This is heresy. There was one body, not two separate bodies. And what's even worse is because of this hypocrisy, he starts to lead people astray. And not just, uh, you know, not just uh, other people. He, he starts to lead Barnabas astray. And Barnabas knows better. He's been with Paul. He knows uh, everything that's taken place. He should know better than this. But people start to be led astray because of Peter's actions. And now... Paul hears about this. And how do you think Paul reacts to this? How do you think Paul is going to feel about this situation? Well, Paul hears about this and Paul is not happy about this. Rightfully so. He's been going and and teaching and preaching to these Gentiles. And and he had their support in Acts 15 that they don't have to follow uh, this idea of circumcision in order to be saved. They, They don't have to do that. But now... By Peter's action, by these uh, words from these Jewish Christians, now people are being led astray. So Paul is not happy about it. And so what does he do? He calls Peter out publicly. He doesn't say, hey, Peter, let's go have a conversation, me and you. No, he calls out Peter in front of everybody. And you see, there's merit to do this. 1 Timothy chapter 5, 19-20 Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. He had right to do this. And so he calls him out publicly. And he says to him, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? You know, hey, Peter, you are a Jew. You've been living like a Gentile. You've been eating with the Gentiles ever since Acts chapter 10. You've been doing these things. You've been living like a Gentile. And now all of a sudden you come, you're afraid of these people and you start to back away from them. And now you're putting on them these customs. You're telling them by your actions that that they need to follow these customs. And he is not happy, and so he corrects Peter here openly. Now, I want to say something here about Peter. Paul is right in what he does. Paul is right for calling out Peter. He could have caused a very, very major, and he does cause a major problem, but it could have been even worse if Paul doesn't step in and say the things he says and what he will say. And Peter was not right in what he does. Peter's not right in what he does. He's not right in his actions. He's not right pulling away from the Gentiles that he has been doing life with. He's not right in his actions. 
for this, but I also think sometimes we have a tendency to look at people, not just people in Scripture, but people in general, and say, wow, that person really messed up. That person really screwed up in what they did. And we sometimes do that with Peter. Peter really screwed up over and over and over again. Peter screws up. He just makes mistakes over and over and over again. What's wrong with Peter? Why can't he get it into his head what he is supposed to be doing? We have a tendency to look at people in Scripture and and not just people in Scripture and say, wow, you've really messed up. But I think these words from Warren Wiersbe, they sting a little bit. Warren Wiersbe says, before we criticize Peter, perhaps we had better examine our own lives to see how many familiar Bible doctrines we are actually obeying. As you examine church history, you see that even with a complete Bible, believers through the years have been slow to believe and practice the truths of the Christian faith. When we think of the persecution and discrimination that have been practiced in the name of Christ, it embarrasses us. It is one thing for us to defend a doctrine in a church meeting and quite something else to put into practice in everyday life. Story after story after story after story is out there of people who have left the church because of the mistreatment of staff and the judgment from the people around them. We have pushed people away by our actions by the things we've done. And so before we criticize Peter, before we criticize others, we have to check ourselves. And you know what? I think Peter gets the point of everything that Paul is going to say to him. I think Peter learns his lesson and hears what Paul has to say. In 1 Peter, the overall theme of the letter of 1 Peter is the true grace of God. 1 Peter 5.12, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Sounds like a man who maybe paid attention. Matter of fact, 2 Peter shows us that Peter was in agreement with Paul's teaching. 2 Peter 3.15-16, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. I love what Peter says there. It makes me laugh. Paul says some things in his writings that's hard to understand. I read that. True, true. But people take that and they twist it. But we see this agreement here that, that Peter has with Paul. And so we know that Peter listens. It might be wise for us sometimes before we criticize and critique others, we take a look at ourselves. But then he continues his message in verses 15 and 16, he says, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because the works of the law no one will be justified. 
So Paul here is now going to go into a message. He's going to use what has taken place and he's going to springboard it into a message that is going, this is kind of the introduction of what we're going to see, the the main thrust of the rest of the book, uh, this idea of, of faith and law and works. And he's going to start it here in chapter two. And what's interesting here is many people wonder Is he talking to to Peter still in this section, or was 14 the end of it? Some believe that the rest of chapter 2 is him talking to to Peter. Others believe that he stopped talking to to Peter in verse 14. I'm inclined to believe that all the rest of uh, chapter 2 is dealing with Peter. Regardless, he's about to say some things that are very important, things that we need to understand. And so he starts in verse 15 by talking about how him, other Jewish believers, he was a Jew. They had a superior advantage. They had a superior advantage. The Jews were God's people. The Gentiles at one point were not. They had the superior advantage. But here's the thing. They know as Jews That a person is not justified by the work of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Those who are Jewish believers know that they are justified not by works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So what does this word mean, justified? What does the word justified mean? It's a legal term, and it means to declare as righteous. If you are justified, it means you are declared as righteous. And this is important because the opposite of this would mean that we are condemned. We are condemned. And so, what is it that justifies us? Well, it's not works. It's not things that we do. But it's our faith in Jesus Christ. And so, he says, here's the deal. This is the same thing for us. Just as the Gentiles have to put their faith in Jesus Christ, we too put our faith in Jesus Christ. And we too are justified not by our works, but by our faith in Jesus Christ. And he tells them, we have put our faith in Christ Jesus so that we would be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because we know the works of the law, no one will be justified. The law will never work. The law cannot save you. And what the law does is it puts this weight of responsibility on you. If you are not following through on all of these things, then you're in trouble. Remember Peter's words, his own words in Acts 15, verse 10. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Peter understood in Acts 15 that this law was a a noose around their neck. It was a, a thing that it was a burden that they could never live up to. And so he continues his message in verse 17 and 18. He says, But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. This is a little bit challenging to understand, honestly, these these two verses. So bear with me as I try to explain this. So Paul brings this up. Okay, so if I'm justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners. Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? 
So there was this belief, and, and what Peter was doing here was telling them, hey, there is separation. You do need to follow these things. And that's what they were preaching with the law. You need to follow these things. But wait a minute. If they're justified in Christ, and they're still sinful, if they're still falling short, even though there's no law now, they're not following law, does this mean that Jesus is enabling the people to sin? And Paul says, no. No, that's not at all what this is. And so he goes into verse 18. He says, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. So he's telling Peter, listen, you're sinning by wanting to return to this way of life. You're sinning by returning to this law because you've given your life to Jesus Christ. You follow Jesus Christ and now all of a sudden you're teaching people that it's okay to go back to this legalism. You are trying to rebuild this thing that you just left. Therefore, you are sinning because you are turning your back on God. You are turning away from what has been proclaimed to you. Really here, what Paul is getting at, it's simple. Man, you're telling people that they have to follow the law and yet you yourself are sinning because you know that the law is, it, it can't save you. And everything that's happened, everything Jesus did was for naught, which he will go into further here in just a bit. You would be a lawbreaker to return to legalism. And so he kind of starts to wrap up in verse 19. He says, For though the law, or through the law, I died to the law so that I may live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if by righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And this is the counterpoint that Paul is making to Peter here, while Peter, by in his actions, is stating that return to this this way of living, return to this law, when Paul has to rebuke him for this, Paul is saying he does the opposite. He dies to the law so that he could live for God. Remember, Paul knew the law inside and out. He studied the law. He knew everything about the law. He was educated in the law. And so now he's saying, all that law that I know, that law that I studied, that I spent so much time in that law, I die to it so that I can live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He has been crucified with Christ, which means when Christ died, He put to death our sins. When He died, it means that our our past self is no longer what it was. Now our past self is gone and now in us lives Christ. This life I now live in the body, I live by faith. I live by faith. I love this quote by Paul. This life I live, I now, or this life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, now the life you live is not your own. The life you live belongs to to Jesus Christ, to the Son of God. The life you live is for Him. The things you do, the things you say are for Him. I think that's why James makes it very clear. It's not just faith, it's also works. Because if you believe, then your life should show what you believe in. 
The life you live, the things you do to the people around you, the the way you serve those around you, the way you love the people around you, those things show what you believe in. It shows that your life no longer belongs to you, but it belongs to Jesus. And Paul says that the life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I love how he ends it in verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I love that from Paul. Man, I'm never going to set aside the grace of God for law. Because the law will never, ever save me. The law, it can't do what God has done for me. All it will ever do is hold me to the fire and tell me all the things that I've done wrong. But I've been justified in faith by Jesus Christ. I've been declared righteous in front of Jesus Christ. And I will never set aside the grace of God. Because if I did, then Christ died for nothing. If we followed the law, everything Jesus did was for naught. And by saying what he says here, Peter is, or Paul is essentially saying to Peter, listen, I am living my life for Jesus Christ. And Peter, everything that you're doing, it's showing that God's grace is not sufficient. And so Paul's message here, I think, is very simple. And I think it's something that we would benefit to think about. And it's this, we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Our justification is by faith in Jesus Christ. We are justified in Him. And so here's the question that I want us to think about this morning. Where do we place our faith? If we are justified by our faith in Jesus Christ, where do we actually put our faith? Do we place our faith in Jesus, the one who died for us on the cross, the author and perfecter of our faith, or do we put our faith in ourselves? Do we put our faith in ourselves for our salvation, for our our entrance into the kingdom? Do we put our faith in ourselves, my goodness, my works, my laws? These are the things that are going to to, to save me, if I'm good enough, if I do enough, if I work hard enough, then I can earn salvation. And I don't need Jesus to do any of that. I can do it on my own. Where do we place our faith? On ourself or on our Savior? You see, we let guilt and pride tell us that we can fix everything ourselves. We can fix our brokenness. We can fix our pain. We can fix our problems. We can fix everything on our own. We don't need help from Him. We don't. And we refuse to turn to the One who can help us. Ephesians chapter 2, 8-9 through tells us, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast it is by grace you have been saved through faith not from yourselves it is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast we have grace that comes from the son of God and it's nothing that we can do we can't earn, we can't earn it we can't work enough for it there's nothing like it. it only comes through faith that's it that's the only way we can get this 
And I love the end of chapter 2 because Paul is talking about his new life. His new life. This is the new life I live. I have died to self. I have died to the law. I live for Christ. Christ has been crucified. I've been crucified with Him. I now live for Him in this body. Everything I do is for Him. This is this new life. A life that can only be found in Jesus Christ. This new life comes through only one man, and that man is Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It only comes through Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do... I ask that question again. What is it that we are holding on to in us that keeps us from turning to Him? What is it? What is it we are holding on to? This, this idea that we are, are broken and, and we're torn up and, and we can fix everything on our own. We don't need Jesus. We work hard enough. We live good enough. We do all these things and we'll be just okay instead of turning to the One who can save us. And so maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Him. You're trying to do everything on your own. If you're just good enough, happy enough, work hard enough, you can earn it. That's not how it works. And stop trying to do things on your own and turn to Him. Give your life to Him. Put your trust in Him. Put your faith in Him. Because there's only one way that we get salvation. It's through Him. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe, like Peter, you've, you've made mistakes. We've all made mistakes. We all fall short of the glory of God. And maybe this morning you need to spend some time just laying those mistakes at the feet of God. And so right where you're sitting, if you want to pray, let those things out to God. Go for it. If you want to come up here and pray, I'd love to pray with you. Man, we are not saved by the things we do. We're not saved by just being good. We're not saved by our works. We're not saved by law. No, we are saved. We are justified. We are declared righteous through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. And are we putting our life and our faith in Him? This morning, if you have a decision to make, I pray that you would do so as we stand and we sing.